I'd have a problem with an advisor that would look at, say, like Brian's scenario and say, well, my commission on an $1,800 repair is going to be X, and I can for sure get that, that commission. But if I try to get that $5,000 total repair, which is what it's going to take to fix that thing properly, and they leave and don't do the repair, I don't get my commission. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. So, Brian, you kind of had a, we're talking about your, I don't want to call him your apprentice, um, one of your fellow employees at the other location. Yep. Kind of dropped the ball today. It's kind of trying to wear maybe too many hats. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a, it's a long story. My wife has been working out at her other location for about a month. And I just, you know, I'll mention things here and there and she'll say things like, you know, yeah, this, uh, you know, just in passing, cause like, you know, automotive isn't really her first mm-hmm. language mm-hmm. automotive, you know, she's out there just like helping with some paperwork and stuff. And I'm like, man, that sounds not like kind of what we're shooting for. You know, I have to head out there and do some diag work a lot. So the past two days it worked out, I was out there. About three hours yesterday and about three hours, well, probably closer to five hours today. Now that I think, yeah, I was there from about noon to five today. Yeah, I, uh, one of the trucks I was out there for was, you know, the truck I had told you about. They had the transmission out and, um, couldn't figure out why it was all neutrals after they had put the transmission back in and, uh, didn't realize that the transfer case shift lever had gone to the neutral position right which as a country boy who grew up with locking hub fords is probably the first thing i would have checked mm-hmm. if my vehicle didn't move forward or reverse i probably would have looked down at the little lever but you know i'm a little old school i used to run that lever with my right foot yeah when i took my foot off the gas pedal you know because i was too lazy to reach down and hit it and uh yeah it's just been interesting uh to go through some stuff and watch what's actually going on with him in the position trying to wear too many hats and he doesn't need to be wearing all those hats i have a guy out there who i took to tst in new york city and that is by no means a diagnostic whiz whatsoever but i'm i'm relatively sure if he would have put hayden on the why does this truck not move i'm relatively sure that i probably wouldn't have been involved with it yeah you wouldn't have to leave your shop when jim's already not there right so things are kind of going a little a little hectic at your place to go over there to just so i mean i needed i needed a break from our place too though. okay yeah so that, that worked out that worked out. That worked out good. I've been struggling a little bit with the front counter yeah. there. It's just too bad. Maybe nobody thought to just say before you make the drive out there, is the shift liver in you know neutral? In uh, in his defense, I could have asked that, but mm-hmm. that's an assumption that I guess is that a, like a generational thing? Am I becoming oh, I old? How long has it been since we've had manual D cases? Well, I still got one of my Wrangler. Yeah, I I forget. I didn't get rid of my I Actually, didn't get rid yeah, of my manual true. teen case till November of 2016. Well, I mean, I think you know we make a lot of assumptions. You've been doing this a long time. There's certain things you just check as second nature. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you know, it doesn't occur to you that yes, I checked this. That's you know, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And you, you move on. It's it's autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think there's, you know, we're real good. I know I. I know for myself, I'm real good at pigeonholing myself. I will jump to the most complex possible thing it could be before I check fuses. <laughs> before before I make sure it's plugged thing. in. Hey, is the ignition on? Does it, it have actually, a battery? It was actually funny. I, I actually I had to call Matthew Scunrick because he's always talking about how ridiculous it is that he has to put missing fuses in. I said, I finally got one that beat the missing fuses, buddy. 
the missing <laughs> freaking didn't put the lever in the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, are you crazy? He's like, you're lying to me. I'm like, buddy, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Yeah. This is real auto repair. And well, I think it's a good that. thing too. Like, I think that, uh, I think stuff like this happens more than we probably think. I just think that there's a lot of people that are afraid to admit the downfalls of maybe themselves. So- and don't get me wrong. Like I freaking anything under the sun, I've screwed up. So I'm not mm-hmm. trying to act mm-hmm. like I'm better than anybody. Um, I'm just saying that I think there's a lot of people that would be afraid to admit that the shop that they work for, that's so prestigious uh, could make yep. such an error. Yep. You know, it's something How that they learn. Yeah. It's something that they'll keep us a little haha in between us joke. Right. But, you know, or yeah. it's not like people are, and it's probably a good thing that people aren't going on the internet in the groups and going, oh my God, you can't believe what my, you know, blank tech did today. Right. I mean, we're sitting here discussing it. We're sitting here discussing it with a kind of as a preface to, <clears throat> you know, positions and, and people and, you know, where they fit within the machine. Right. But I mean, I don't think anybody's yeah. throwing shade at anyone, but I think that there's a lot too many times, like you'll tell this when this story gets broadcast and everybody's going to just laugh and go, oh yeah, I've done that. Or, oh yeah, I remember when, you know, John did the same thing. Ha ha. Like we have to keep it all that if more people would be honest with the mistakes that they've made, right. Um, you know, we, this, this industry might be a little more welcoming. I mean, you can't tell me anybody in the room that I'm sitting in right now hasn't started at least one car on fire. Like, come on. I mean, you know, <laughs> define, does it have to be a sustained fire or can it just be a small burst of flame? Uh, if it requires the fire extinguisher, let's call it a fire. Not, I'm not talking well, total losses. Guilty. Yep. So look at Eric's got them shifty eyes, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, you know, I contributed and, created i mean i'm 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 multitasking yeah. with that sometimes yeah i mean it's I, uh, it's not one a year for me but i mean it's yeah a more uh, no 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 <laughs> i had i had one in my life and uh we've we've joked about it it was at it was at the shop i work for currently and it wasn't like it was it was a bizarre thing me and another guy hit a hit a an older jeep like a 98 Grand Cherokee mm-hmm. with some starting fluid mm-hmm. to try to get it going mm-hmm. out back, and uh, turns out it wasn't a uh, fuel issue. It was an ignition wire issue, <laughs> and it turns out it was not a fuel issue. And it actually had ignition, but I'm guessing it must have been timed incorrectly because it was backfiring and banging or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And we had sprayed it or whatever, and it backfired and banged. I go, okay, this thing's gonna have to get dragged in the shop and. Right, Chris got out of the car. You know, he was cranking. I was spraying. And uh, like, okay, whatever. And uh, we hung what out there. Qualified like to a- be an astronaut? What's that? What qualified to be an astronaut? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so we walked away. And like 10 minutes later, it was, it was in the summertime. And we have a west-facing door. We're near the Niagara River. The wind comes out of the west. And I can smell plastic burning. <laughs> and I look out back. Oh. And the freaking the grill of this Jeep looks like it's at the freaking tractor poles. <laughs> like, oh shit. And uh they we still have it on security camera. I freaking ran full stride. I had a, a fire extinguisher carrying it like a football, and I leaped over the hood of a Chevy Cobalt. Whoa. Full stride, 350 pounds. And uh we showed it yeah. to somebody like, man, you got to get him down to the stadium. He should start for the Bills. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've started one on fire. One and only one. Yeah. Usually with big mistakes like that, you only have one. It's it's but, yeah. our, our good friend um, Paul Danner had a Jeep catch on fire too, right? So I mean, yes, he did. If, you haven't, if you haven't lit up a Jeep, have you really been working? You know? <laughs> Are you really so anybody if you, you were, have a little Jeep on fire? Oh, what, what if you were a contributing factor? I just remember very early on in my time at LNN, I walked into my bay. Tanner was down visiting. Lucas and Tanner are in my bay, leaning over. Hey, you know, just BS. And oh, by the way, truck caught on fire at the gas pump, right back to talking. It's like, oh, at how'd the that gas go? Pump. Pardon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I, mine was mine was a welding. Hmm. Did you know oil vapor will actually ignite? Yes. That, that's how waste oil furnaces work, yes. to be precise. I, yep. My old boss was cutting an exhaust out of a car and right through the edge of an oil pan on uh-huh. a, uh, I think it was a VG30 Maxima. Uh, just weld it up. I'm like, we don't want to do that. No, it'll be fine. Weld it up. I'm like, oh. Okay. So I put on all the safety equipment that time, but like, eh. Plugs out, oil caps off. I mean, it has somewhere to vent if it goes. Um, yeah, that that was insufficient. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That was an afterburner flame out of the bay and just, you know, yeah, that was that was a good day. All the safety equipment. I love that. So. Well, I always wear the mask and gloves, but I usually am not putting on, you know, the jacket, the apron. Mask and gloves are re- me really stretching it that day. Typically, it's uh, barehanded, and if I'm just using the MIG welder, that the the one ten jobby that plugs in, I'll just squint. Yeah, and uh, usually, you know, I'm just getting somebody else's broken bolt out, so it's not like I'm mm-hmm. working for extended periods. It's like twenty three seconds, you know. I my first week in the shop, I flashed myself bad enough that I was out, out on comp for about three weeks. Um, I will not play around with the welder without the mask anymore. Right. That was I think if I un- had that experience, I'd probably feel the mm-hmm. same. But uh, Oh, that is the, that you know, is here the I am worst on the pain. Edge. <laughs> hmm? It's horrible. Yeah, I've heard it's horrible. It makes a toothache feel like a pimple. I mean, it, really? it's, you move yeah, your eyes. You know when you bad. get something in your eye, you move and you can feel a dragon. It's like that constantly. It doesn't stop. Nothing helps. It's like sand. It's just time. It's, like it's sand sucks. horrible. I think that if I had ever been through that, I probably would do the same. I'd probably have the mask on. But yeah, it's, I can deal with the burns on my hands, but my eyes, uh, that, that yeah. That, that, was, uh, that was discomfort. That was some discomfort. I could imagine. So we grew up at my house. We grew up with a welder in our house. Right. Not in our house, but in the like a, a legit stake stick welder, you know, 220 yeah. that had a separate service run for it because uh, my dad did some millwright work. And I learned to weld with a stick welder when I was, I don't know, probably 10 years old. And nice. uh, I remember the first time I had like my own I'm living in my own house and I still got the old man's old welder in the garage. It's in the garage right now. Plugged in still works. I broke the handle off. So I had to. The adjustment handle, I got a pair of vice grips. I had to get it calibrated so the vice grips are aimed to the right spots. <laughs> but I still got it. And I had a friend that needed a trailer. Tongue extended, and it, there was a lot of cutting and welding work. And it was really hot out that week in August. And didn't I run a 220 stick welder in flip-flops and shorts and a T-shirt? <laughs> and you want to – so I couldn't imagine that feeling – being on my eyeballs yeah because i welded for three hours like that and i couldn't rotate my ankle i couldn't move my i couldn't put socks on i had to take three days off of work i couldn't put socks on oh yeah that's that's straight up sunburn we used to we used to all look like tony the tiger in the welding pits right yeah you know i mean palm springs middle of summer you really don't want to wear leather or nomex Mm -hmm. um but you know as we started plumping out from sitting on our ass 10 hours a day doing nothing but you know, high frequency welding, you stand up and you have Tony the Tiger Stripes. You know, right. half of it's ghost white and the rest of it's second degree burns. <laughs> it's UV burns. Oh my gosh. But That's I mean, horrible. you know, you, you adapt. I mean, I'm I'm real big on safety stuff just because of the times I wasn't and it bit me. You know, a yeah. piece of welding slag going down the inside of my boot is... Uh, oh, that sucks. Oh, oh you... <laughs> Yeah, you got to learn to get your dance. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about not pay. Let's talk about uh, ratios or the the topic. The question kind of came up. You guys probably remember seeing it a few weeks back. Um, should an advisor ever make more money than a tech? And I mean a tech, not just any tech, but say like an established tech. Your 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 top tech. Your 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 foreman, for example, right? Maybe. But that kind of somebody like say Eric in Eric's position at his shop, right, or Brian at your shop. So mm-hmm. should the advisor like I don't we'll say Dean Brian mm-hmm. should Dean ever make you know the kind of money you make? Well, I think that it's hard to make the comparison 
And I, I think what you run into is there's different levels of technicians and different levels of advisors Mm -hmm. and trying to say that, you know, should an advisor make more than a technician? I, I think that the whole thing, I think it's hard to make that judgment as a very broad statement because there's advisors that sell, you know, 20,000 worth of work in a week. Mm-hmm. And there's advisors that struggle to sell 20,000 worth of work in a month. Uh, there's technicians that turn 65 hours or whatever, whether you want to measure it in hours, whether you want to measure mm-hmm. it and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, build labor, whatever you want to measure it. There's guys that, you know, we'll, we'll use hours that turn 65 hours a week. And there's guys that turn 27 hours a week. Mm-hmm. There's guys that have a shit ton of comebacks. There's guys that don't have a shit ton of comebacks. Right. There's advisors that sell jobs properly with all the information. And there's advisors that, well, you know, kind of they leave this out and leave that out. And they check noise and you car. Know, uh, yeah. What's that? Check noise and car. Yeah, yeah. Well, and not just that, but in the actual selling of the job, they. You know, they create a number in their head and maybe they don't present the whole, uh, the score of the whole automobile to the customer and they're just going to grab and go on some money without, Mm -hmm. you know, letting the customer know what they have coming up. And that's kind of a bad look on the shop. So I just, I've thought about this. I I remember, I can't remember who asked the question, but I I saw it in the group. I saw it asked and I don't even think I actually responded to it, which is odd for me because I'm, I'm the first person to be like, Hey, listen, yeah. You moron or whatever. Right. And I just like thought about it. I took 10 minutes and thought about it. And I was like, I don't even know how to answer this. The general consensus seemed to be a lot of people felt that um, the, the techs have a lot more invested in training, tooling, um, wear and tear exposure to chemicals, wear and tear in your body versus the, the service writer, right? Whereas a service writer can kind of, if you've got the people skills, you've got the kind of soft skills, um, the tech can change a little bit on the vehicle, but what makes you a good service writer, good salesperson, um, remains pretty much the same, right? No matter whether we're, you know, I guess what I'm saying is a guy that could have sold, you know, points and tune-ups in your dad's 74, you know, Ford F100, um, that same kind of characteristics and, and people-pleasing skills can transfer into somebody selling Diag on a can problem on a 2021 Toyota. Yeah, that's, I guess that's a good point. I guess something that has changed in the industry though, is the way diagnostic work is sold and presented Mm -hmm. uh, due to the fact that the cars are so complicated as compared to what they were in the 70s, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not saying guys in the 70s didn't charge for diagnostic work. They sh- they certainly did. Uh, I don't think it's as far and widely accepted as it may be now. Yeah. I also think that, remember they had those big, like the big sun machine or the big, the interrogator, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it was it was like a flat fee. Like, we're going to hook your car up to the interrogator. It's going to be $53 and it's, we're going to tell you what's wrong with the car. Yeah. And, you know... Most of the time, they likely could, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that aspect's probably changed a little bit, like trying to educate the customer on why, you know, we're going to spend hundreds of dollars on telling them what parts their car needs before we actually put a part on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in some cases, has probably changed a little bit. So there's, there's, I think there's been a little bit of an increase in skill, but I would have to agree that it has changed far more for the technicians than it has for the writers. I, I, I don't think, I don't think anybody who spends their day seeing what goes on in the bay could make that argument unless they just they really wanted to be oblivious. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as that goes, the 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 tooling. The tools and the softwares that the service writers have access to have actually made their job a little bit easier, to be quite yeah. honest. Yeah. Now, Eric, you've written you've written your fair share of service, right? And kind of kind of fill us yeah, in on, on that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you, you bring up some good points. I think there's a lot of 
evolution on both sides. Um, I think, you know, as techs, we have a lot more, it's a much more dynamic environment. Things change a lot faster. We have a lot more to keep up with. I think the worst part for me personally of being an advisor, I enjoy people. I enjoy helping people. I can't, the the type of work it is, it's very psychologically stressful. Um, you know, I think comparing text to writers is a really tough argument to make because it simply is not the same job. It's not the same position. It's not oh. the same workload. You know, we've got a pretty intense mental workload to go through, especially if we're going through, you know, an intermittent problem, and noise concern, something like that, something that is intermittent, not real apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not, we don't do our job to basically ruin people's days. I mean, it's a horrible way to say it, but we're not giving people good news when you're on the counter. No. Um, you know, and that takes a major emotional toll on the person doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to empathize, being able to listen, um, and being able to, you know, relate to the person without sounding callous or without sounding uninterested. Um, that takes a lot of mental effort and it takes for me, for me, it takes a lot, a big toll. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I understand how devastating it can be to hear, you know, Oh yes, I, I you need to spend ten thousand dollars to get your car going again. Yeah. To have it safe and reliable. Yeah. Um you know, that that would be a world ending announcement for me. I can only imagine what I'm doing to someone when I'm telling them that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if it's, you know, a college student, single mother, whatever. And, you know, I, I I try not to let that impact how I'm going to approach it. I'm gonna approach every vehicle the same. I'm going to, you know, when I'm on the counter, I'm going to straight report. This is what you brought in. Yeah, you have This is to. what I found. Yeah. This is what's wrong. This is what I need to do to resolve it. Transparency has um, so key, right? Hmm? Transparency is so key. Like it's it just oh, it has to. to be. You have to. Yeah. Um. You know, and a lot of people want to know. You know, well, were these guys wrong? Did these guys screw my car up? I can't tell you that. I can tell you what I have in front of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a cut valve cover gasket. How did that happen? I don't know. Yeah. You know, can I surmise it was probably poor insult? Yeah, but I can't say that. I wasn't there. Yep. It could have just easily happened. Pulling it apart, it was baked it onto the head. The and the pro, little Felpro trolls yep. came out at night and cut your valve cover gasket. <laughs> Brian and I have talked a lot about that, how it's it's sometimes it's really hard when you can see kind of the – because I think when we do this long enough, right, we can see almost uh, – you can picture in your head exactly how their repair at the other's repair center went right you can see it you've had your head under there you kind of know okay i can see how that gasket got cut when he put it in there because he probably didn't take this bracket out of the way and you know yeah in a lot of in a lot of cases you can see how it went because we've made the mistake before yeah Yeah. right yep and oftentimes if if they ask something like that i'll be like man i don't know but i can tell you i've had the same thing happen to me Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that's i just kind of shrug my shoulders you know what what are you supposed to tell them? Yeah. I, it's it's my you know it's my job to report what's wrong with the car. It's not my job, and it's tough in my position because I see a lot of it, and it gets depressing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It gets very depressing, and I don't get depressed. You know, I don't get depressed when I have a car that you know, like I have a BMW right now with an insane steering lock issue and that I even haven't even had time to put, I haven't had a chance to put time into cause you can't steer it. So I had to get some roller skates to the shop. I think they finally got there today. They were on loan and uh, it, you know, I don't get depressed about stuff like that. Something that's like super complicated, but when I get a Chevy pickup in that's got a code for the throttle body, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the fuel tank pressure sensor and you know, a couple, a couple other things and it's got all new parts on it. And I find the five volt ref wire that's rubbed through where the, you know, harness turns turns a corner yeah. coming off the PCM. Yeah. That's annoying. You know, it's annoying. It was a lack of it was a lack of caring to even do the job. Take properly. a multimeter and check some voltage. Yeah. You know, and it, it's so it's def- that's frustrating. Definitely, that advisor then that sold the work and the parts that it didn't need. You could make an argument that that advisor might be just as bad for the industry um, as the tech that misdiagnosed it, right? Well, I think part of that, you know, I had an advantage that I had worked in the back before I went up front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's the same same thing with Lucas. You know, he's worked the back. He's worked the iron. Yeah. 
So it, it, you know, there's a lot of cross-checking that goes on, but I think, you know, as someone like both of our, our advisors now are decent, they have a base of knowledge, but it's just that it's a base of knowledge. You know, they don't know if what we're telling them is sensible or if it isn't, Mm. it's up to us to make sure they understand, you know, at least basic operation why it's doing what it's doing and why this is the pro this is the reason it's not working properly yeah. and why this will fix it. I've seen my experience um, at the dealer was a lot of the time I would have a lot of advisors say when when a car like that would come back, for example, and get handed to another mechanic, right? And the mechanic would go and fix it. Somebody like Brian's position or myself, the the service manager would be like, Well why does this why did this happen? And the advisor, the first thing they would say is, it's not my job to argue with the mechanic. And the mechanic just brings me the estimate and says, sell this. That is my, that is how they took it, is that's my job to sell that. And I always, that kind of, that was a, a, a tricky line for me to walk, right? Because I want an advisor that sells and doesn't, you know, um, emotionally discount, doesn't worry that, you know, because if we're all being honest with what we're, our goal is when we're looking at that car and trying to repair it and sell it is we're trying to sell the repair that the cars need. So I don't want an advisor that's going to be like trying to trim that. But at the same time, how does the advisor, you know, if you've got somebody that maybe shouldn't be doing that job or, you know, commission driven sales, uh, pay structure, maybe makes them, get a little happy with the pen you know who who does who do we who do we blame for that you know without blaming the pay structure is there a point where the advisor should be uh saying no that's not cool well i think the advisor the most important job you have is to advocate for the customer you know i i it was explained to me very early on in my career, and I didn't necessarily follow this a lot. I didn't subscribe to it, and I've kind of taken a fresh look at it. You know, if I'm going up to a writer or an advisor with a repair, mm-hmm. if they understand it, if they understand it, and I can sell them on it, and not as, you know, a, a sale per se, but if I can help them understand why, the what, why, and how, mm-hmm. they're going to understand how the system works. They're going to understand the repair. They're going to understand you know, why we need to do it as opposed to just, well, it's not my job to argue. No, you need to understand what you're selling. Yeah. You need to understand what you're explaining to the client. So if they ask questions, you can at least give them a reasonable answer or find the answer. Sell it with confidence for sure. Yeah. You 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 know, advocating for the people that are trusting us with their vehicles is that's, if we're not doing that, we're not doing our jobs properly, in my opinion. You know, it's what's best for the client. Do you think there's a situation where maybe the tech has done the best he can and even brought the advisor out and showed them what's broke in the system and the advisor gets i think i think that you brought up a great point eric it's our job to advocate you know it would be our job as you know as the advisor i say our i don't really work the advisor position (laughs) however it would be the advisor's job to advocate for the customer I 100% agree Mm -hmm. to do what we can for the customer. But, you know, I think some advisors, they, when they say, when they hear advocate for the customer, they get emotionally attached to the price of the job. And I have a situation that I'll explain that happened this week. Uh, It's a transit E250 transit with uh, EcoBoost in it, Mm -hmm. twin turbocharged, right? Customers complaint. On the gas pedal, makes a loud squealing noise, and it's got no power. Check engine lights on. Bring it in. It's got low boost code. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the wastegates are seized on both turbos. The driver's side manifold, the studs are broke off yep. in the back. It's the whole back of the head's black. Yep. And the so that's the driver's side manifold. And then the passenger side turbo with the inlet tube off, I had somebody brake torque it. Uh, and it dumped about a cup of oil out in about six seconds out the inlet side mm-hmm. of this turbo. I go through all this fan. I, I look at the rest of the thing, you know, the brakes, the ball joints. It, it's actually, other than this turbocharger issue, it's in surprisingly good shape. So 
I bring the advisor out. I show him. I say, this turbo pukes oil, this manifold. You're going to end up taking this turbo off anyways. Yep. Yep. We're in the rust belt. You ain't putting this turbo back on no. and the wastegate seized. No. She's two turbos. Yeah, two seized wastegates, yeah. one junk manifold, one turbo that's puking oil. Uh, showed him the seized wastegates. Can't move them by hand. Put the, not a vacuum pump, but you got to put, you got to set a pump to pressure yeah. at that solenoid hose and it should move them. And it does not. The wastegates are seized. So day goes by and I'm walking by the front counter and I see this paperwork you know, when the when the stuff prints out, we're still on old-fashioned print-out work orders. When the stuff prints out, you can see what a sold job looks like because there's a bunch of parts on the sold job. And I look at the top, and the number looks kind of low. And I find out that he only sold a passenger side turbo and the associated hardware and pipes and nothing else. I said, hey, what's what's up with this? Oh, well, that job, you know, that job was just so expensive and everything else and this, that, and the other thing. I go, so I so let me let me understand your logic here. Your logic here is that you don't want the customer to have to spend too much money. So what we could do is charge them just the diagnostic fee and return to them a broken car. Mm-hmm. I said, but what you've decided to do is charge them nearly $2,000 and return to them a broken car. Because spending five thousand for a fixed car is too much money. Yeah, that's not advocating for the client. No, it certainly no. is not. So they think now it I'm is. in a position where I have to put a stop to it. Say we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. This is not happening. And you know, people think that advocating for the client, and a, and a lot of people do it because our society is so money driven. Well, that's too much for Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones, she can't be spending five thousand dollars. She, you know, eighteen hundred dollars we can do, but five thousand it doesn't matter. Mrs. Jones mm-hmm. is going to get back a broken vehicle, and you're going to take eighteen hundred dollars yep. from her. Yep. It, that doesn't work for me. And then she didn't grind my ass into the dirt thirteen years building this place, so you can charge somebody eighteen hundred dollars and give them back a broken car. Like it, we the, don't get to make that decision what they can afford. That's absolutely not our call to make. All we can do is 100% tell them this is not our call. Half the time when we think that they can't afford that other $2,000, they wind up spending $2,000 somewhere else. Right? And yeah. then she'll and, go. So they get more she, money spent. She'll go trade yeah. that sucker in and put seven grand down on the next one. Yeah. Which, hey, get hey, it's a 2015 transit. Mm. Uh, if, hey, I'm not saying that it's the customer's problem. If somebody told me that my 2015 Transit needed five grand, I would drive that thing to the dealership and I would take $7,000 and that car and put it down on the next one to haul my kids around. I don't blame her. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't blame her if she does it. But my thing is, is how do we, you know, that I think that advocating for the client has to be not just the dollars. It's got to no, be their best interest, their best interest with that vehicle. A lot of times my boss, Jim, he's great. He advocates for the client by telling them, you need to probably get rid of this car and get a different yep. one oh, absolutely. all the time. Yeah. Uh, we probably have two a week like that. Yep. It's, you need it's to get not... rid of the car. This is not going to make sense. But some, a lot of times <sighs> it's the other way. A lot of times people see two, 3000 bucks and it's like, well, Listen, what can you buy for two or three thousand mm-hmm. dollars? Mm-hmm. There's nothing out there. Well, but you can. It's going to have you know another ten grand worth of problems you got to fix. It's going to be just as broke as what you got. A lot of your yeah, coaches though will tell you that you should never tell your customer that they should flog it, that they should get rid of it. You know that it's you're they they talk about you wouldn't know the emotional attachment they may have to that vehicle, right? It could have been their father's. Well, and them coaches are from the south. <laughs> when I can feel the carpet from the bottom side of the car, yep. it's time. To, I'm, you're not, you're, you're not going to, I'm not going to advocate for you to, I'm not going to convince you to put a transmission in when I can yeah. feel the carpet from the outside yeah. of the car. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, you don't necessarily approach it that, you know, it's not worth fixing. It's, the cost of this repair is going to exceed the value by a lot, or this cannot be made safe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. This absolutely cannot be made safe to be operated. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how we, I, I, that's how we will generally approach that. I mean, it's not, you know, it's just not worth putting the money into that's, that's all again, not our goal. You know, I don't get to decide what, 
a client or what an owner can actually afford to put into their car. That's their call. I don't know their financial situation. Agreed. Agreed. I yeah, just know 100%. what's wrong with it. Yeah. I just, I, I'd have a problem, I guess, with it, with an advisor that would look at, say, like Brian's scenario and say, well, my, you know, my commission on an $1,800 repair is going to be X and I can for sure get that, right? That commission. But if I try He's to get that $5,000. That's how stupid it is. Yeah. But if I try to get that $5,000 total repair, which is what it's going to take to fix that thing properly, and they leave and don't do the repair, I don't get my commission. And I've seen too many times where the technicians in a flat rate or a com- or an incentive-based pay schedule, they always seem to get labeled as that aggressive sales. But yet too many times it used to irk me, and this is why I'm on the fence, but I used to say there's no fargan way that an advisor should ever make as much money as a tech because the I've seen too many advisors that just they they sold whatever they were told to sell with no regard to whether it actually fixed the car or not because they've got a they've got a quota to hit they've got a number to make and too many times the, the tech get got painted with these brushes of you know their their con artists their ripoffs and I've seen it more times than not it's the person on the front counter they'll be the situation in the dealers where there's a known offender of, you know, over aggressive sales, over aggressive cannot yep. fix a sandwich. And they'll come out that, day uh, after day with that, a, with an estimate for a tune up and a fuel system cleaning and a, you know, flash update. And it's not going to fix the car. And they. I've been doing this 40 years. I know what I'm talking yeah, about. And they sell it. And that car comes back and it gets handed to me a lot of the time. Somebody else. And I'd go and <laughs> fix the car. And it, it was. Like Groundhog Day every day, it would happen over and over again every day. Yeah. Brian, you talk it about never does change, does it? Brian, you talked about your your story. You told me how many times you your dealer job you quit because your advisor wanted to yep. sell a fuel system cleaning instead of an ignition repair. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. I took a. It was a. I was working waiter day, and somebody that was uh, traveling was stopped in. And we had an opening on the schedule, and they had a Mustang. It was in the summer. They were traveling. They had a Mustang. They were from out of state, maybe Pennsylvania or something like that. And mm-hmm. It's hammering. Hammering big time. Number seven cylinder. So I uh, pulled the ignition coil out, uh, you know, because it was blue car syndrome. It's a Ford. It's mm-hmm. misfiring. It's got coil on plug. Mm-hmm. It must need a coil and a plug, right? And, and I was right. I pulled the ignition coil out, pulled the plug out. It's got a big old carbon track down the side of the spark plug. And you can you can fly a freaking 747 through the gap of the spark plug, and it's still got the yellow paint on top. Yeah. This thing's got like 135,000 miles on it. I go, okay. I go, this thing needs this coil. I go, it needs this spark plug. I said it really needs seven more spark plugs because this car ain't gonna has never had this them. ain't gonna work. Yeah. And uh I presented that and showed the advisor. He, he gives me a she what did it have on it? No no approval for the coil. No approval for the coil, approval for one spark plug and a fuel induction cleaning. Because guess what? He gets bonus ten dollars off of every one of them fuel induction services he sells, but he don't get bonus ten dollars on an ignition coil. And that was like the day. Something's wrong with that. And, uh, yep. I walked in the service director. The service director wasn't there, and uh, I was chirping pretty hard Monday morning about it. It was like the heaven hell week thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so I was already three days in, and then I had to come to work Monday for another thirteen hour shift. So I was already pissed off, and I was chirping. Because, you know, when you're a big guy, you can chirp. Yep. And uh, I got called in the service director's office. And uh, I'll never forget it. Terry was his name. Terry goes, you know, I had a I had a lady call me up and tell me her car never ran better after we sold one of those injunction service. I go, well, I freaking hope so. You sell 37 of them wallet flushes a day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope one of them made a difference. Yeah, right. I mean, you're freaking selling 150 of them a week. You're bragging about how somebody called you up and told you the car runs better yeah. after the place been in business for 20 years. And you've been selling 150 a week, you know, and that was one phone call, one phone call, yeah. one phone Great call average. on how well the car ran. And uh, yeah, that, you know, and that was a, and that, that, that turned into a big deal because I, you know, I went to parts. I got an ignition coil. I told the guy, I told Joe that worked in parts. He goes, there's no coil on here. I go put one on it. 
And I sh- I shipped that car. I did not fuel induction service it. I put an ignition coil and a spark plug in that car, and I went up to the front and handed it to Russ. Russ was the service advisor, and I said, I did not uh, fuel induction service that car. And he looked at me like I had a third eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I said, we can talk about it if you want. And he, I think he could tell I was irritated, and he preferred not to go into seclusion with me yeah. and talk about Pulse it bear. <laughs> and he sold it you know he sold it that way and that was yeah that was the that was the point where i decided that this is not for me anymore you know and and they would do it all the time some little yeah. old lady that runs the casino mm-hmm. and back could come in there with her lincoln 4200 miles oh time for your fuel induction service yeah. you know on a port fuel injected car <laughs> Yeah, the port fuel injected Lincoln that doesn't have. I've never had a carbon issue on a port fuel injected Lincoln in my entire life. No, no. and uh, yeah, it's it's just, and it all comes back to I think what I mentioned. There's too many people doing the jobs too many different ways mm-hmm. to paint with a wide brush and say techs should make more than advisors or advisors should make more than techs. I'm I. There's too many shitty advisors. There's too many good advisors. There's too many shitty techs. There's too many good techs. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it gets to a point where it's like, after you've worked in the industry long enough, quite honestly, if if we found an advisor that was an absolute rock star and treated the clients well and everything like that, and that dude had to make a couple more bucks, and I didn't have to be freaking, you know, at my wits end. I'd be like, whatever, dude. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm doing okay. I'm making enough money to do what I want to do. And if, you know, you find this guy and he's he's Johnny Great Advisor and he does his job great and there's not all these loose ends and I'm not making five phone calls a day to customers and ordering parts and writing mm-hmm. tickets myself, mm-hmm. I, I'm all about it. Man. Yeah. It would, it would not bother me. To find the money to keep that, that advisor. Yeah. It is commensurate with skill and experience. Yeah. 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 If you if you brought me an advisor and and they're out there. They're out there. And they're and they're well compensated. I'm sure some of them are making more than I do. Mm-hmm. And and well, I don't like have the, I don't have a problem with that. Just like the superstar techs, if you have a good individual, regardless of their position, you're gonna do everything you can to keep them. Yeah. Eric. Yeah. You know, if it's someone that fits with the culture, that does their job well, that, you know, has that credibility you're going to do everything you can to keep and retain them yep. did you see a similar scenario like that eric when you were at the dealer to what brian just described or is it oh i hated the dealer um i well i have an unfortunate habit i say what's on my mind mm-hmm. um i don't play the politics if i have a problem with something i'm going to say it usually the person um you know, i was never really one for running to running to tattletale with daddy that so-and-so hurt my feelings um so, like, you know, I've said a couple times, uh, my entire reason for staying at the dealer as long as I did is the training. Right. Um, I hated the environment. I took a massive pay cut going over there. Um, I don't work well in a flat rate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I never have. I'm more interested in fixing vehicles than steamrolling out, you know, <laughs> induction services. Yeah. And, so you found you, know, you found that your experience there kind of mirrors Brian's at the necessarily the advisor wasn't the best advocate for for their for the customer um ours was a combination of advisors and service director okay um and gm um you know it was new york city it was the only game on the island um so they kind of felt like they had a monopoly and they could do whatever they wanted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but they uh you know they just had some very i don't know if i'd say deceptive but definitely not ethical approaches to doing a lot of things you know but there's always like every dealer i've ever worked in there's those three or four guys that are banking 120 130 hours a week and the rest of the crew is starving yeah yeah um you know if you hit 40 you were having a rock star week and it was um but it was all on you know spiff services quick maintenance and it was Um, weird i always saw it and i could not wrap my head around how it happened because it wasn't supposed to happen that's Certain customers wound up with certain advisors that got certain techs that got those big kind of tickets. And it always used to, I was, it was the most amazing 
coincidence. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. It was just like this guy always seemed to get this type of car with this type of service sold on this type of customer. And I was just like, man, I don't, you know, I just want to fix cars. Like, I just want to solve problems. I don't, yes, the money is great, but I mean, you know, if it whoop de doo you did, you know, four transmission services and four fuel system services by lunchtime and you made eight hours. Like, wow, pat on the back. What, like, did you fix anything today? No? Okay, cool. So if I took those machines away from you next month, what are you then? Are you still a mechanic? Or are you just like a glorified quick loop kit? Well, you know, they, it's it's not helping your career if they yeah. if you go down that road, just chasing that that those spiffs or that 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 pay. But I, I found that you know, and and it wasn't just one dealer I worked at. It seemed to be a trend. Is that some coach somewhere has taught some service team that you know you got to sell this amount to make this kind of we need to hit this number. Okay. Well, we roll in the BG equipment or we roll in the Valvoline equipment and we start selling all that stuff. That's great. I'm not, I've never, you've all heard me say it. I've never seen an over-maintained car, but I mean, you know, at some but, point, but, but, you know, if that, <laughs> the, somebody like my mom could come in and have every intention of trading that car within six months, but somebody advisor that doesn't necessarily know that or doesn't even care, is still going to say, oh, it's your 84,000-kilometer service. You should be changing your timing belt. You're flushing this, flushing that. And they just go, okay, I better do it, right? What's that What's that, What's that? that achieve? Well, people make money, but it yeah, doesn't. That's all it achieves. You're not advocating for the customer at that point, right? You're just advocating for, for your, for your Green eyes. incentivized pay plan. Yeah. So yeah. I have a problem with it when it's always people want to say it's always the techs that are doing that. Like I saw more. Uh, I don't want it's to. Use, I don't want to use you know, the word rip off, but yeah, done well, by. Well, it's a mix. You know, you have to look at. You know, like you said, they've got quotas they've got to hit, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. You know, come hell or high water, you're going to hit this number. Yeah. Um, a lot of that, in my opinion, starts at upper management. You know, the principal, the GM. Absolutely. Yeah. They're setting, that issue, yeah. they're setting that precedent and they're going to put in the most cutthroat SOB they can, mm -hmm. you know, parts yep. and service. Any dealer I've worked at, parts and service, they don't see it as anything other than a liability and a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, it's a necessary evil to keep the franchise. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, I've never worked somewhere that was happy they had a service department other than when, you know, they needed their stuff worked yeah. on. Just Right, um, which right, ironically right. was never the same line that we yeah. sold. Isn't that magical? It's it's yeah, it's, funny how that works. Yeah, it's the greatest car that they've ever sold until it's out of warranty, and then you have to give that customer an estimate for the transmission that's out of warranty, and then that salesperson is telling that same customer, "Yeah, those guys in the service department, they're a bunch of jerks. Like they should cover that for you, Goodwill, because you're such a great customer. You know, you bought four cars from me in the last ten years. Like you're a great customer. Like, and so but how many times does that happen in the independent world too? Oh, I'm sorry, I put this guy on it. I should have put my best tech on it instead of this guy. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's a whole other issue of people. How many times do they want to actually, when they say, you know, well, this went wrong or that went wrong, how many times do they put their hand up and go, well, see, we dispatched that wrong because of this reason, you know, like, I mean, at the dealer, I had it, I had it set up pretty good where it's like, they knew who was strong at certain things. So they kind of tried to keep dispatching that kind of work what you're good at, right? I'd like to do drivability electrical. So I got a lot of drivability electrical. I fixed it. They went out the door fixed. It was good. What would happen sometimes is when I would get backed up and they would, you know, kick it to anybody in the shop. I didn't mind if the guy came over and said, Hey, I got one doing this. Sure. Yeah. Look at this. Look at that. I wasn't always going to be that guy that was like, ah, screw you. I'm not going to help you, right? Because I I want to see that customer's car get fixed. But I, more times than not, it went south when somebody didn't bother to come over and ask me. They just, oh, it's got a rough idle. Let's tune it up then. Let's give it the old BG and some spark plugs and some ignition yeah. wires and a update. And then it comes back next week and the EGR, it's got a code in it, right? And it's still running exactly the same as the way as before. Well, guess well, who gets to do the EGR? My hand goes up, right? Me. So all that gravy that they did last week, gone. I can't sell that now. I'm just going to do it the EGR. Yeah. So 
too many times workflow is not dispatched properly to avoid this kind of scenario happening, right? So that's just what I always found is that it was, you know, too many people don't don't advocate properly. And I guess at the end of the day, then my I came to the conclusion that I never wanted to see an advisor make as much as a tech because if neither one is advocating, right? If we're just in it for the money, then I wanted to see the most money go to the 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 person with the most invested uh, training, tooling, right? But at the end of it, it, the day, it's not about really somebody should make more than someone else. It's we all have to be advocates. And yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you're an advocate for the customers and you're doing right by them, then you should be paid well for that. And it shouldn't matter then if you're paid less or more, you should just be paid whatever makes you happy with being paid with that. As, as yeah. I think for me is how I can live. I don't want to know if my manager's making more than me. I just know that I want to get paid enough to, to do my job and like to come to work and want to advocate for my customer. Yeah. I, as long as I can cover my expenses, I don't really care. I mean, that's not my yeah. goal in this. It is. Obviously, yeah. I'm here to make a living, but I'm not, you know, I, I want to be able to enjoy what I do. I want to be able to feel good about what I do and feel, you know, like I'm making, like I'm improving something for somebody. I want to be proud of it, right? I want to be proud that I chose this profession. I want to get yeah. past the the stereotypes that have been haunting us for decades, forever, right? So if I, in part of being able to do that, because I'm not the most like Eric, you talked about you struggle emotionally with, you know, you get emotionally invested in, in their problem. See, for me, I don't know what it is or why that's never been a case. I, I almost come across as too crass or jaded because like, never, I don't really, you know, so your transmission's going to cost 5,000 bucks. Okay. Um, you know, do you want us to go ahead with that or not? Like, I just, I don't, I, I just can't get the, I mean, I understand it. You know, $5,000 is not a drop in the bucket for a lot of people. It really is not. It's a substantial investment in, in that vehicle. And, you know, $5,000 might mean next year they go without a vacation or $5,000 might mean that they, you know, the, the kids don't go into a couple sporting events next year, right? Um, it's it's serious stuff. But I've never been one of those where it's been able to separate it and say, ah, oh, let's just try and, and, and Band-Aid that for you. Like, it, it's just the cut and dried for me is it's like the right way to do it is the right way to do it. And I'm sorry that it costs so much. I, I'm not in control of that. And do no, you want to get started on it or, you know, do you want to have some time to think about it? But I got to get another car in. That's just the way my, the, it's the way emotionally I am with it. I, I've always been that way. I don't know why that is. I just think it's, you've all heard me say it. It's just business. It's not personal. You know? Oh, no. And when I say empathize, I don't necessarily mean I'm going to emotionally discount every job. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I get yelled at because I don't, um, right. you know, it's, well, I mean, you guys have heard it mentioned. I, I'm, you know, I'm the full sender. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because <laughs> you know, sender. but it's, you know, Calipers I want to do it baby. properly. If you know, I I will go sometimes overboard on stuff. You know, well, this could break. This could break. I've mm-hmm. had a lot of these break. We should probably be looking at doing this. Yeah. Um. You know, and we're we're working around trying to incorporate that without. You know, here's a 200 pound boulder that we're going to throw at you. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and trying to find that happy medium of what's reasonably likely that we're going to have to replace and what isn't. You know, I I would never compromise quality or compromise safety to meet a price point. I mean, the price is the price. It, mm-hmm. you know, sure. Can I knock shops flies off ticket? Maybe. Yeah. If it's a single mother with no brake pedal, am I going to put a set of brake pads in there to get her safely down the road? Probably. You know, mm-hmm. if I have a car a car come in that is losing air faster than my compressor can put it out, out of the tire, if I have a used tire I can throw on there, maybe. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be a total, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be a scumbag about it, but I'm not going to, I'm also not going to set the precedent that I'm going to lay down and just bandaid open heart surgery every time it comes in, you know, extenuating, mm-hmm. yeah. cir- there's yeah. always going to be those extenuating circumstances. Sure. Absolutely. But, you know, as a matter, as a rule, I don't, you know, I'm not going to play the price shopper. It, my price is my price and that's my price. This is what it is. What would you have me do? So I think we're, what we've come to the conclusion of is that too many times what we see happening is the advisor is making the assumption that the customer will not or cannot afford the proper repair. And I think that that's what I took away from Cecil's when I was at ASTE is that you can't make that assumption ever. It's yeah. not your, it's not, there's no point in it being in the conversation of you assuming yep. that they can yeah. or won't. You have to give it yeah, to them. You present the job. Yeah. They will tell you if they That's can right. afford it or not. Yeah. You present the job. The customer will tell you whether they can afford it or not. And that's and that's what you have to do. Yeah. That's what they're asking you for. Exactly. That's they what they knew, brought it to you if for. If they knew how to evaluate their own car, what the what the hell are they doing at your shop for? Yeah. When you assume right? you make an ass out of you and me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think the whole thing comes down to less, you know, I think what I really look at with, especially this past week with my experiences, <laughs> both with people at the front counter in the back shop, is if we all worry less about whether the front counter makes more money or the back shop makes more money, and we all just did our damn jobs the correct way, and we all just advocated to the customer, maybe just maybe the thing wouldn't be so complicated. The money would make itself. Yeah. Yeah. If we all just, I don't care what the guy at the front counter is making. He doesn't care what I make. Mm -hmm. If we evaluate the vehicles properly in the back shop, that's our job. Evaluate them, which means we have to be accurate. We can't put our advisors in a position where they're selling things that aren't going to fix the car. That's exactly it. Test don't guess. We have to be accurate. And the advisor needs to present the issues that we found. If everybody just does their job, I don't think for all of us at the end of the day, it would matter. I don't think I would care. No, do your job to the absolute best of your ability. I don't care right now what the advisors at my place make. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you what, if we could get to a level where maybe we were doing a little bit better at not making decisions for customers, I would take that almost 0% of care and it would go to absolute zero. Right. And that's, you know, it can't be, the focus can't be on, you know, making the absolute most we can. It's got to be on doing the best possible job we are capable of doing. That's it. That is our job. 100%. Yeah. That's going to clash with some coaching uh, ideals. I don't care. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm I'm with you on it. I've never seen a coach fix a car. This is exactly truth. Exactly. I mean, truth. if they hey hey, I got I got a freaking uh, power stroke and a BMW that are absolute basket cases. So if any coaches are out there listening, and you know my job better, I'd love to have you by the shop. Yeah, um, we could probably get you about fifty dollars an hour if you can get these two cars fixed mm-hmm. in a day. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't see it happening. Yeah. <laughs> so does that. Is that kind of what we take away from this, guys? Is that it's it's more about uh, if you're going to put it into a into a little box, it, we've got to advocate more than we've got to be uh, concerned with who's getting paid, right? It's more about yeah. the advocating for the customer, not what are you getting paid, you know, and who's getting paid more. So why does it matter? At well, the end of the day, why does it matter? Yeah. It, it's it was a topic that it was it got a lot of legs it got a lot of traffic a lot of people had some pretty strong it, yeah, ideas. I, I noticed you know, towards the end, yeah. I it was, and it's something that I waited a couple I waited a couple weeks to kind of think about it because uh, I talked with a, a mutual friend last night, um, Mister Dutch, uh, two nights ago, pardon me, and uh, posed him the question real quick, and he's like, "Well, you got to look at it this way." He says, "Like a, a tech is just pretty much." a blunt tool. And he says, you can do the best DVI in the world, but if you don't have anybody to sell it, then you don't have anything. But, and then said, 
they don't come in though for what the advisor can make them feel like they come in because they need their car repaired so it's a it's a teamwork thing right they we need it we need sure. a service writer and a service writer needs a, a competent tech and it's a and it's yeah. a partnership that gets strained a lot of the time and i've i've had some some issues with lots of them in my career and sometimes make me want to pull my hair out and get you know really but this was in my flat rate days now you know it, it doesn't I don't get too stressed. It's just a situation of like the only thing that stresses me now is overpromising on on delivery times and you know setting us up for failure by saying oh yeah you can bang out that ten hour job by lunchtime like that's not I'm not cool with that. But I don't yeah lunch. yeah yeah I've had to let that go right. But I don't you know I've had to let that go because I'll always have too many cars that I can't get done before the end of the day. But now that I'm on, but I now that I know, but now that I'm not in a situation where I've got to sell, sell, sell in order to earn a paycheck. The the advisor now is now much more. It's in a partnership than it was a me versus them. So, well, there's got to nice. be a synergy between the front and the back for it to run efficiently. The bet the better the understanding, the better the relationships, the better the communication, the better the overall situation is. Amen. Amen. 